Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond. And welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus, where we tease out insights and takeaways from Politico's coverage. Today, I'm in conversation with my colleague, dispatch host Jeremy Siegel, and Politico White House reporter Nancy Cook, where we go behind the scenes to talk about the many tensions between the White House and health officials over the coronavirus response. Dan Diamond, are you growing a handlebar mustache? <laughs> Dan, don't do it. Don't do it, Dan. <laughs> it's it's too late, Nancy. It's it's already uh, taking shape, much to the chagrin of my wife, who's been the only person outside of one source uh, on a video call to see me with it. It looks pretty horrible. I, I got to be honest. Okay. I, I hope we can expect to to get a picture of this on Twitter at some point. I'm supposed to interview former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy on a video call next week for Yale, and and I'm debating whether to lean in and really have this bushy and robust, or to use that as the the cutoff point for literally the cutting off of the handlebar. So I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I think nothing screams Yale more than a handlebar. And to be honest, I think hopefully getting back to Politico and, and seeing you with one is what's going to get me through the next couple weeks or... However long we are doing this for. So, Jeremy, what I'm trying to do, actually, is I'm trying to distract from the mop of hair on the top of my head, which is totally out of control. And I don't know anything to do about that. So I figure if I can get people focused on the ridiculous handlebar instead, they will overlook the hairstyle I am now cultivating. (laughs) I'm now imagining you as like a member of the Allman Brothers Band or something. <laughs> it's pretty similar. <laughs> well, while you've been growing an awesome handlebar mustache, Dan, a lot has been going on um, at the White House. We talked last week about the president's embrace of unproven drugs, but Trump has become an increasingly strong promoter recently of of one anti-malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine, as a treatment for coronavirus, despite warnings from health officials. Um, And I want to ask both of you, Nancy Cook and Dan Diamond, about this one. Why do you think Trump has been so fixated on this drug? Well, I think that he's latched onto it because he is desperate for some sort of solution to offer the American people to say, my administration has this under control. And they have really been so far behind on things like testing and making sure that states have supplies like ventilators. And I think that the administration wants to project this idea that they are on top of this. And so Trump has really latched onto the idea of this miracle drug that he wants to tell people will help them solve the problem or, you know, give them some relief. And and he's really latched onto it. And, and a bunch of his supporters have as well, you know, Fox News hosts have uh, people around him. It's very controversial among health officials inside the administration. But surprisingly, there are a bunch of political advisors, policy advisors, economic advisors, Trump himself, Fox News hosts that they've that he talks to regularly. And they're all really on board with this idea because they are so desperate for some sort of solution to offer the American people, even if it is just a a sort of a temporary salve or something that could just they believe could help people. Dan, what's your take on this? 
Nancy's right. Trump is looking for a way to speedily end this crisis. This drug he and some of his advisors believe is a magic bullet. I just think the evidence isn't there yet. The health advisors that that I talk to inside and outside the administration have a lot of concerns. And at best, uh, there are anecdotal reports that this drug works. At worst, there's evidence that it really uh, raises risk, cardiac risk specifically, um, especially when taken with another drug that the president has recommended too, um, Zithro. So I, I'm trying to think of a precedent for this moment, and the only one that comes to mind is from a movie, uh, Contagion, the 2011 Steven Soderbergh movie, where there was also a cure being hawked. Uh, Alan, uh, today on Twitter, you, you wrote that the truth about this virus is being kept from the world by the CDC, by the World Health Organization, to allow friends of the current administration to benefit from it, both financially and physically. Uh, there are therapies we know are effective right now, like forsythia, and they don't even appear on the CDC website. Uh, on your blog, you also wrote that the World Health Organization is somehow in bed with pharmaceutical companies. Because they are. That's who stands to gain from this. They're working hand in glove. And the hand is reaching into our pockets. The CDC is exploring forsythia and other homeopathic treatments, but right now, there's no science to back any of these claims. And I watched a few clips from that movie the other day, and it's almost note for note uh, what, what's happening now in real life. Though, of course, in that movie, that cure turned out to be a total phony, and it's, it's a case in that film, and I think in real life, of people looking for hope but not necessarily wanting to wait for the scientific evidence. Well, one person who's been sort of tamping down that hope is Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has become sort of a leading voice, I think, for a lot of people, you know, following this story on, you know, expert advice when it comes to the coronavirus. He has been publicly skeptical about the drug, but you've been reporting that other career health officials have been even more critical than Fauci on this, but told not to publicly contradict Trump about this drug. I mean, I found that that kind of shocking to hear. Like, is it surprising to both of you reporting on this that experts are essentially being told not to dispense health expertise? I don't find it surprising at all, because if you look back to the beginning of the Trump administration, uh, the president has always expressed a deep, deep skepticism of experts in their field, people who work in the government bureaucracy. He calls them the deep state. You know, he has done this with people at the State Department. He has done this with foreign policy experts. He has done with the, this with the intelligence community. And so him being very skeptical of health officials is just sort of the latest instance in this pattern of him not putting a lot of trust or faith in experts across the government. But Dan, I guess in this situation, like what's different is this is science. And this is, you know, a pandemic. So that makes it feel a little bit different than than not listening to, you know, international affairs experts or experts on other issues. Like, is is this a different situation? I find the whole episode shocking. I, I think it, it is not unusual that the president might have thoughts on economic policy that are informed by his real life lived experience. The president is not a doctor. Tony Fauci is. Tony Fauci has spent 50 plus years in government working on this exact issue. If the president is not listening to Tony Fauci, but is instead taking advice from proponents of the drug who frankly have included hucksters and fraudsters, a study that was put out in France is already under review by, by the publication. 
I, I think if we tried to imagine Barack Obama touting a drug that Rachel Maddow had been promoting on her show to fight Ebola, I mean, this stuff is not done for a reason. And it, I can't remember in my time covering healthcare a president who has waded into the science despite having a total lack of credentials to do so. And all of this, um, you've both reported in a story together, has led to a, a pretty significant rift within the White House. Um, Nancy, you're reporting that this has caused a split of the Trump administration essentially into three camps. Can you outline what those three camps are? Sure. So I think that, um, well, one, this has this sort of highlights a longstanding rift that has happened just between two camps, the economic people and the health people. And so that's sort of the, the broader picture. They have been sort of warring with each other over the public health risks that the coronavirus presents and also the desire to reopen the economy. But then I think that there are different camps inside the White House. There are a bunch of policy advisors, political advisors, um, you know, outside advisors who think that this drug is great and they should just move forward with it. There's a second group um, that is a bit more cautious that says, well, this drug could be used potentially. Doctors can use it. They can prescribe it to patients, but they have to know the patients and know the risks. And then there's a third group of which Fauci is a part of, Dr. Fauci. And that's a group of health officials that are basically saying, we really need more evidence. Uh, we need more studies on how this drug affects people. You know, it's a drug that is used for people to treat malaria and lupus. Uh, there's not a ton of studies yet about what the what the potential use is with coronavirus. And I think that there's a concern among the health officials that if you move too quickly, people could get hurt by both the coronavirus and potential side effects of using this drug. On top of some of this infighting that's been caused by Trump's focus on this drug, we saw Trump you know, publicly attack the HHS inspector general this week for producing a report on on coronavirus readiness. Did I hear the word inspector general? Really? Uh, it's wrong. This was, you know, a report that involved interviewing more than 300 hospitals and healthcare systems. Dan, you've reported a good amount on the inspector general. What was the president so angry about with this report? And was he was he right to be angry at all? I think the president was angry about two things, Jeremy. First, anytime he hears the words inspector general, the president has a longstanding aversion to the various IGs around the government who have authored some of the most damning reports about his administration. I think the second piece is that the inspector general at HHS found evidence that hospitals were not ready for this response. And some of that lack of readiness was because of the federal government. The, the president was angry also because some of the findings were days old. The hospitals were surveyed about 10 days before the report was made public. There was a second HHS official on stage, uh, Brett Joie, who also was critical of the report, said that he should have found out about it before the report was made public. I don't know the inspector general. I don't know that person. I tell you one thing I have a problem with. If there was such a problem that she knew about or he knew about on March 23rd and 24th, why did I find out about the tests from them on the, on the news media at 8 o'clock this morning? But, but I think this is telling for a deeper reason. We were talking about the career officials who are nervous to speak up about hydroxychloroquine. This is exactly the reason why they get so worried that the president will go on national TV and single out career officials, mock them. They will potentially lose their jobs. 
And in all of my years covering the Health and Human Services Department, this is the first time I can remember the Inspector General being so much in the target of a president, despite some pretty tough reports. This HHS Inspector General has put out tough reports on Trump's former Health Secretary Tom Price using charter jets, had put out tough reports on the response to family separation. And as a reporter who investigates the health department, there's nothing better than when the inspector general comes out with a report six months later or nine months later or a year later that corroborates investigations into the Trump administration. So they do a lot of important, brave work. And frankly, it's disheartening to see the president attack them for doing their job. I want to put this to both of you, and I'll start with you, Nancy. Um, You know, Trump touting hydroxychloroquine, Trump attacking the inspector general, these things together, do you think it reveals anything larger about the state of his response to coronavirus right now? Well, I think that the administration has bungled the response so far, and the president is looking for both a miracle to save it and also people to blame, whether it be career officials, uh, you know, the CDC, which a lot of White House officials privately blame for the lag in testing. You know, he's blaming the Chinese government for uh, what he says is covering up the disease early or the virus early on. Uh, You know, he gets in fights with journalists at the briefings, which is another way to deflect attention away from his administration's own record on this. They are so desperate right now. They view the coronavirus response as One of the key things that people will look at when they're going to the voting booths in November, and they are really eager to create some sort of narrative that they have been on top of this. And and I think that that's why you are seeing uh, the way that he's behaving right now. Nancy, I'm, I'm curious. The fact that the president not only took several days where he made sure to stress that this was a Chinese virus, he has tried to attack China for its role, and now attacking the World Health Organization. How much in in your reporting is this a strategy to make this the fault of overseas rivals and the domestic response being what's, what's saving Americans? I think that that's a huge part of it. I think that his base has always enjoyed the idea that you know, these international rivals uh, are to blame for something, be it a trade war or things like that. The administration has been calling out China really since the campaign with unfair trade practices or intellectual property issues. And so this virus is just the latest instance of the president really trying to make this a problem with the Chinese and put that blame black on China, which a bunch of his base is already quite skeptical of. And so I think that, um, you know, it's a it's a deflection strategy. Dan, despite sort of all of this infighting and also this pointing of fingers, you know, even to other countries, at this point, do you feel like the administration is is on track to have a cohesive response to this? No. Uh, I I think there's been a lot of progress in the past number of weeks. The president is much more serious. There are multiple teams deployed in the federal government working on this around the clock. So credit where due, there's been progress. At the same time, there's still massive disorganization and teams not necessarily aligned. We've reported on Jared Kushner's team, Adam Kankren, Nancy and I, we've reported on the competing uh, forces within the administration. There still is a lack of clarity and often it gets settled by the president or Pence or some other power center. And I, I think that's just set to continue for weeks to come as states look for aid and don't necessarily know where to go as 
people on the ground don't always have perfect information. And the big question to me is, what is the plan to get us from here to to a return to normalcy? There are competing groups within the White House. There are some outside advisors like Scott Gottlieb who have put forward multi-stage preparations that need to get underway now. The White House has yet to embrace any of them fully. And I think that's what we need to see if we want to come out of this period where I'm in my house, you're in your house, Nancy's with her family. Once we get back to some normalcy, we are going to have to change the way that daily life works. The White House still hasn't laid out what kind of testing that would look like, what sort of procedures and protocols will need to be followed. And that's what I'm digging into now. One thing that I'm digging into now is the White House is in the process of forming another task force focused on the economy, and it's going to deal with reopening the economy. But a lot of what they're trying to do is come up with strategies about how to boost economic growth when that economy opens, like potentially proposing additional tax cuts or things like that. But that's very different than reopening the economy and making sure that there's the testing in place that's needed, or there's the ability to isolate people if they're sick, or there's an ability to treat people. And so one thing that I'll be looking for is how this economic task force that is developing inside the White House now is going to interact with this existing task force. And is this something that is a helpful add-on, or is it just another point of infighting in the administration? And I think that that's something that I'll be watching in the coming weeks. That's it for our show. I'm Dan Diamond, and my thanks to Jeremy Siegel, host of our terrific podcast, Dispatch, and to reporter Nancy Cook for joining me today. Our producers are Annie Reese and Jeremy Siegel. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. You can find Politico Pulse Check by searching on your favorite podcast app. You can help us by leaving a rating or review That will help new listeners find the show. You can follow Politico's coverage of the coronavirus in two newsletters. First, the Politico Nightly, which comes out every evening and offers our latest takeaways and breaking news from the day on the coronavirus. And then Politico Pulse every morning, which tees up the storylines to follow as Politico reporters are chasing the politics and policy influencing the administration. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you next week.